0: you're listening to the co-main event podcast and now your hosts ben folks and chad dundas that's right you're listening to another episode of the co-main event mixed martial arts podcast i'm chad dundas that's ben folks we're both longtime MMA journalists, and for nearly the last 11 years, we've been meeting here every week to break down all the action in the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. You know what, Ben? As of Saturday morning, I'd already started to think about this podcast, I, I started wondering, How are we going to structure the show this week? How much time should we spend talking about last weekend's somewhat low profile MMA and combat sports action? And how much time should we budget to look ahead to UFC 287 and the rematch between Alex Pereira and Israel Adesanya? And then that decision was made for us, man. (laughs) After rumors started to percolate online Saturday evening that the UFC's parent company, Endeavor, would in fact buy WWE, those reports were confirmed this morning, saying that the UFC and WWE would now be grouped together under the same umbrella as part of a new publicly traded company owned by Endeavor. And to top it all off, they made this announcement the morning after WrestleMania and headed into the UFC 287 fight week. So that's kind of a big deal, man. Uh, so here's what we're going to do this week. We're going to forego our normal three round format for what I assume will turn out to be a very special episode of the CME. We're going to talk about this breaking news of the new mega merger between the UFC and the WWE. We'll take as much time as we need to say everything we know and discuss all our hopes, dreams, and fears. And then with whatever time is left, we'll move into some UFC 287 preview stuff. And then if there's any time left after that, we'll try to get to some listener mail. Uh, But I hope everybody understands if we don't get to their messages this week. We apologize. It's just uh, with news of this magnitude... We pretty much have to talk about it today. Ben, I just want to know, first off, real quick, what was your initial response when you saw this news float across your timeline, either last night or this morning?
1: First thing, first thing that popped into the old brain pan, I'll tell you what, that's a lot of independent contractors under one roof. Yeah. yeah you know what is. I'm saying? Yeah. Also, though, the the thought that quickly followed and that is related is, is this sort of a natural pairing seeing as how the business models of the two especially if you're endeavor just sort of looking at them as just pure straight up business people not as sports people necessarily but just in terms of what the businesses are like and what they offer does it make sense do you look at those two and go yeah, these these kind of operate the same way yeah way more so you know we've talked about it before how Combat sports people loved for a long time, love to compare boxing and MMA, love to talk about uh, UFC versus boxing is, is one eating into the other's market share when really in terms of both like fan appeal, but even more how the businesses actually operate. UFC and WWE have long had way more in common. The Venn diagram just joins together a whole lot more between those two. And maybe if you're Endeavor and you're looking at it, you'd be like, WWE seemed like some motivated sellers at, at around this time. And when you have learned from your UFC experience that what we really did here that was so smart was getting something that is a hot live sports on TV property for for rights fees, shit like that. That is sort of dependable that we can take to somebody and be like, "Hey, look, this is going to bring you a certain amount of shit every week, regardless of who's on it." It's just the the product is the pro the product is the brand essentially, and now you've got basically two of those. That's yeah. the same thing.
0: Yeah, and. You know, we'll get into the specifics of this deal and the press release and what we expect from it in a little bit. But they are already talking about packaging those programming offerings together and selling them to some platform, whatever it may be. And you got to think that that would be a very lucrative opportunity for them and a a programming package that a lot of platforms, whether it be streaming or whether it be a traditional network, would probably really want to get into because of the dedicated audiences that have already proven that they will follow the product from one platform to another and in both instances have proven that they will pay a subscription fee just to get in the door to watch it. So that's got to be an extremely appetizing and lucrative situation, both for Endeavor and for potential broadcast partners, I will admit, my first response when I saw this float across the Twitter timeline was, what? And then that quickly progressed to OMG, and that quickly progressed to these motherfuckers. (laughs) Because- Which motherfuckers? These motherfuckers. Because- Professional wrestling and MMA have always been kissing cousins. Man, there has always been a a real relationship between the two sports. It was a relationship that a lot of MMA fans didn't want to acknowledge, but it nonetheless existed. I think you have a lot of crossover in between the fan bases. I think you will be able to market across both platforms really effectively. You will be able to sell those sponsorships really effectively. You will be able to get the guaranteed broadcast fees that you talked about the live rights fees everything else that we know endeavor likes to base its business on and frankly my guess is this shit is going to work out exactly like they anticipate it will and if you didn't know already from the ufc acquisition and the dominance over the marketplace and the espn slash espn plus broadcast deal these motherfuckers have already won the game at least for the time being. And I expect this WWE acquisition only solidifies that if not sort of launching it into the stratosphere.
1: Yeah. I I do think there's going to be an interesting conversation to some extent about what exactly it looks like for both the UFC and the WWE to be owned by the same parent company. And for instance, As was alluded to in press releases uh, this morning, what type of synergies we might expect?
0: Oh, man, who writes these press releases, man? (laughs) I I would like I'm going to read verbatim from this Endeavor press release coming up later in the show. And it is just it's written like you like you had a I write it and then a 19-year-old college freshman in an introduction to uh, English literature or English composition rewrote it, and then you just threw it in a Mad Libs book. And that's how these fucking press releases read. Like, a non-native English speaker has written this for us.
1: Well, there's a quote in this uh, uh, Hollywood Reporter story where it talks about what was said to uh, shareholders and investors in a, a Monday morning webcast about this news. It quotes Endeavor CFO Jason Lublin said, quote, we see significant significant operating synergies throughout the ecosystem.
0: Ha <laughs> ha, yes!
1: <laughs> Which just, that's that, that's when you're doing a business. No, 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 I'm doing a business. Significant operating synergies throughout the ecosystem. But also, uh, do you remember when we, we saw the opportunity for some significant operating synergies uh, when Endeavor bought the UFC.
0: Oh, yeah. No, for sure.
1: And do you remember what that ended up meaning? It means the business guys see a chance to fire people. <laughs> and they love it. You yeah. know they love that shit, man. They love the opportunity to go down the payroll and be like, who do we have who has been doing their job The job we hired them to do. The job we asked them to do. Maybe the job we hired them away from somewhere else to do. Who has been doing that? Exactly as we asked. But now we could find a way to get rid of them. Because, God, they love that. They love those type of operating synergies, Chad. As it means just fucking firing motherfuckers. To just squeeze a little more money out for already wealthy people.
0: Yeah. They love that Uh, shit. If I were working for either of these companies, I might update my LinkedIn profile, make sure that my (laughs) bio is up to date. And uh, we already know that they will put UFC employees to work making press releases and emails and video packages for the damn slap league. So you got to think there's the opportunity for quite a lot of synergies here between the two companies, which is something I know Uh, we are all excited about. Remember, you're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast proper. This show drops every Monday afternoon for free in your timelines and podcast libraries. If you're listening to the sound of my voice right now, friends, I need you to do two things. First, subscribe to the show. No matter if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any of these other platforms, just go in there right now. Right now, I'm telling you, and click on the subscribe button. That way the podcast shows up in your feed every week and you don't forget to listen to it second if you already do subscribe and you like what you hear go ahead and leave us a five star review on whatever platform you listen to that stuff really helps and uh you know it, uh, it keeps you from listening to only the fettered discourse of the corporate fat cats over there in the algorithm nobody wants that Nope. If you if you really want to support the show, find us over on Patreon. Ben folks, and I are over there pretty much all week churning out additional MMA content. We've got the Wednesday live chat where we take your questions for a full 60 minutes. We've got Thursday's Doing the Damn Thing podcast where we take a break from fighting and talk about pop culture. And we've got Friday's Power Hour, a full extra hour of curated MMA talk to get you hyped for the weekend. We've got a patronage tier for every budget. You can sign up to join the team over at patreon.com slash co-main event. Again, patreon.com slash co-main event. Ben, Vince McMahon has been trying to sell the WWE for months now. He'd been asking $9 billion for WWE, which at the time some people thought was crazy. Uh, There had been rumors a few weeks or a couple months ago that the WWE WWE was actually going to be sold to the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Instead, it's Endeavor that scoops up the UFC, which as we talked about a little bit at the beginning of the show, I think just makes more business sense, perhaps, than selling to uh, the Saudi Arabian Investment Fund. Endeavor will acquire WWE for a quote unquote enterprise price of $9.3 billion, so a bit more even than Vince McMahon was asking for. And as we said, we'll bundle that with the UFC, which, by the way, is now valued at a bit more than $12 billion by yeah. its owners. So, so,
1: like a threefold increase there.
0: Yeah, uh, the two companies, as we said, will be part of a new publicly traded company. Everybody's making out like bandits, basically. Ben, Vince McMahon is straight up cashing in for Tita Brothers style. He bought the WWF from his father for $1 million in 1982. And you got to think he will catch a large portion of this $9.3 billion. It's the American dream, Ben. Inherit a company from your father. Run it for years until your sexual improprieties... Uh, make it clear that you can't go on as the owner and then sell it to a giant conglomerate for billions of dollars. It's it's the American dream.
1: It brings, brings a tear to the eye, really, to think about it. It really does.
0: It. it really does.
1: Couldn't happen to a nicer guy, too. You
0: know? <laughs> no, it could not.
1: We're, we're all so happy for his success.
0: Endeavor will... Uh, uh, Control 51% of the company. The WWE board will control 49%. Basically, all the bigwigs get to keep their jobs. A board will be appointed later. Uh, I think, you know, obviously, Ben, this signals potentially tectonic shifts in both the world of MMA and pro wrestling. And yet, everybody gets to hang around Dana, Vince, Nick Khan, Ari Emanuel. Uh, they're all still going to be there. I don't think you can overstate what a fucking full-court basketball shot this is for Vince McMahon. It's the Doug Flutie, Boston College Hail Mary of business moves. But like I said at the beginning of the show, man, I feel like they've won the game a little bit here, at least for the foreseeable future.
1: Yeah. I mean, it is interesting to me that... Because uh, I also noted that, okay, everybody's pretty much staying put And we're all going to be sort of kind of working together because it seems like a lot of personalities to be kind of corralling and getting everybody to to run in the same direction a little bit. I'll I'll be curious to see if that goes completely smoothly at all times, but also here's the thing. Like I know right away, people are going to be thinking about what types of crossover does this lend itself to, but I also think that's tricky I think it's especially tricky for the UFC because already we've seen there's a a pretty good blend here of like fighters who are into pro wrestling, uh, fighters who have gone back and forth between the UFC and the WWE, way easier than they would be able to do with kind of any other sport, league promotion. You know, they've had that kind of good working relationship. At the same time, if you're sitting here as the UFC, there's been this slowly simmering sports betting scandal that uh, involving James Krause and his fighters. You were briefly taken off the board in a couple places uh, for as a sports gambling option and now you're going to have the same parent company as the WWE and you're going people are going to expect there to be some kind of cross promotional efforts but also you probably feel a little bit sensitive to the just the idea that you want to make sure that everybody knows and that especially the sports books know and especially your your sports gambling prop, like partners at a time when that is huge business that's only getting bigger that there there is a firewall between the two that you are are the legit sport where it's always a shoot and they are the scripted theater kind of stuff you i got to imagine like the the potential of that crossover could make people a little bit nervous in that regard cuz the last thing you want to do is do anything that might fuck with the money even if it's just the the portion of the money that comes from sports gambling
0: yeah do you think it's possible Conor McGregor has known this was coming and was just trying to get ready by getting on the gear last year?
1: <laughs> you you giving him too much credit.
0: <laughs> I mean, it's an upper body business, baby. <laughs> Maybe Conor just got the memo that uh, pretty soon he was going to be expected to show up at WrestleMania twenty twenty four, and he just decided, you know, better better to look large and in charge than the uh, than the alternative. Yeah, I mean. It, he already had
1: a, a movie role that was also kind of an upper body business. Uh, yeah. So that that's probably reason enough for him. And I don't think when Conor McGregor was sitting there weighing the pros and the cons of getting on the gear while he was recovering from his broken leg. Let's just say I don't think he needed a ton of check marks in the pros column before he decided that he was going to go ahead and do what he needed to do for his health. As he, I mean, it.
0: I think it was beat Michael Chandler in an upcoming fight and then uh, suplex Kofi Kingston out of his boots at some point. That's what I think the decision was made on. I'm going to read this Dana White quote because it's amazing. Uh, This company has been on fire for the last seven years, and now that we will be adding WWE to the portfolio, I'm excited to take this to another level. They said it was going to another level when Endeavor first bought the UFC. Uh, How many Vince, levels
1: are there? What yeah, level are we
0: unlimited, at at this point? Unlimited number of levels. Vince is a savage in the wrestling space. Ari is a beast at what he does. And then we add what we at the UFC bring to the table, and there is no limit to what this company can accomplish in the next few years. Uh so there's savages, there's beasts. He uh, we're lucky he didn't just say one of these guys is a tough kid, man. You know? <laughs> He's going to show up ready to fight. He's just a tough kid.
1: I mean, not to bring everybody back down to earth real hard here or anything, but you you, you talk about business. You're talking about guys who do businesses. Yeah. Like Sitting, showing up to work, suit and tie, sitting behind a desk and doing, taking meetings, conference calls, shit like, like hey, we like to get all crazy with our euphemisms and our language, a savage, a beast. They're businessmen. This is just, you're just talking about guys who are in business making money, man. Yeah. That's, that's what they're doing. I know we want to make it sound super fucking hardcore all the time. <laughs> you are going to the stock market and doing a business. Yeah. That's all you're doing.
0: I mean, I guess... If it's a choice between beasts and savages and synergies in the ecosystem, I don't know which one I would pick. They both, yeah, they're both equally loathsome as far as I'm concerned. If there's anything we've learned, it's that business guys love to talk about doing business.
1: Well, you know, to bring us back to the thing you mentioned earlier, that the UFC is now valued at 12 billion,
0: which three times what they bought it for,
1: right? They, they bought it for around 4 billion. If you're a fighter or you're a WWE talent, you're sitting around here like, you're the people on the backs of whom these businesses, these savage beastly businesses are built. Yeah. And if you're a UFC fighter, the bonuses haven't gone up in like 10 fucking years. They've probably been telling you, like they've been telling everybody, hey, we can't afford to pay any more money. That the the salaries are pretty stagnant, that the contract the contracted money is pretty stagnant. And then you look up one day and you will go, wait a minute. You mean it's worth three times more now than it was? Because that doesn't feel like what you guys have been telling us. That doesn't feel like the, the reality that's been represented to the fighters. Remember when the Dana White got talked into up in the bonuses and went as asked afterwards if that's going to become a thing? No, man. We got a budget. Break the budget. You do that. And it's just like, meanwhile the company was growing in its valuation that much.
0: Yeah, 300%. Uh, One of the amazing things about this press release, first of all, from Endeavor, is to see the press release itself confirm much of the information that guys like John Nash have been reporting on for years in terms of revenue and everything else, valuation of the business, Uh, but also to confirm these revenue numbers... Right in the face of all these UFC reply guys who are constantly on the internet, whenever you're like, oh, you know, the UFC is incredibly profitable, maybe they should pay the fighters more some guy will immediately always jump into your mentions and be like, you don't know how much they make. You don't know what money they bring in. And now the UFC and Endeavor put out this press release where they're like, we make so much money, you guys. Just like unbelievable (laughs) fistfuls (laughs) of cash constantly coming in from the UFC. It's amazing. And we're only going to make more in the coming years. So that to me is exciting. I'll tell you what, one thing... Not to get off on a tangent about the talent, but if I were a WWE wrestler, I might be a little bit nervous about my next contract negotiation. I don't know if this will affect it at all or how it will affect him, but we know that when Endeavor buys into a company, like when it bought into the UFC, they're not planning to pay people more. They're not planning to jack up the salaries. I also wonder somewhat idly if this might, you know, we, we want to talk about, uh, potential crossovers. But I wonder if like, if you're a dude like Brock Lesnar, if suddenly you're like, Oh, I guess I can't bounce back and forth between these two companies and use them opposite each other to jack up my asking price anymore. So, you know, when you create synergies between your companies and continue to control more and more of the marketplace, maybe it's not great sometimes for the talent.
1: I mean, granted he did seem like maybe the only guy who had successfully really managed to do that, but he did it. Sure. Big time, uh, play one against the other to to jack up your money. It, I also wondered. So the plan is it seems to take the UFC and the WWE together. They're going to operate as a publicly traded company under the top, the stock ticker symbol TKO.
0: Ah, oh, so clever. By the way, so which,
1: clever. Yes, Chad. The CME will be buying one share of TKO once it <laughs> yeah. becomes available. Don't think for a single fucking second, we will not expand our investment portfolio in this fashion. The minute we get the opportunity. However, what does that leave Endeavor with? Because we were kind of led to believe, right? That the UFC was a big portion of what was really helping Endeavor out. And the, the, the it was a big portion of the live sports arm, Of Endeavor, which itself was a big portion of the Endeavor revenue. And it's not like the the one share of Endeavor stock we own has been doing fantastic. Yeah. Where does it, what does that leave Endeavor with?
0: Well, maybe it's ultimately good for Endeavor because if you split off these two really, really profitable businesses and make them their own thing, and then you do an IPO for the for the stock, you probably make a shitload of money. And given that they are have yet to appoint the board of this new company, and that five people on that board will come from WWE, and six people on the board will be appointed by Endeavor. I don't necessarily know if we got to think real hard to figure out who the guys on the board are going to be from Endeavor's side of things. And they will personally make a bunch of money. So they're probably not sweating it that much. And as a Hollywood talent agency giant, despite the fact that maybe our one share is not doing that well, I assume Endeavor will be okay. They're probably gonna continue to be profitable and do just fine for themselves in that arena. You mentioned the personalities involved in this thing. Can you imagine when they get Dana and Vince with his new vaudeville villain mustache and his dye job. Can you imagine when they get those dudes in the same room? It's just, I don't know if walls will be able to hold them. I don't know if they'll, if they'll just be able to keep that much power in the same room together. Yeah. And I guess it seems like Vince
1: and Dana white have recognized a kindred spirit to some extent in one another yeah. at times yeah. over the past, it's sort of like with Dana white and Donald Trump, where you knew two guys like this either have to recognize something of themselves in a, in the other that they like and can get along with, or they absolutely have to fucking hate each other. Yeah. There can be no middle ground. They're they're too similar in so many ways.
0: Yeah, it's you know, it's always been kind of strange with Dana White. He's never had anything nice to say about any other promoters ever in his life except for he's <laughs> like generally thinks Scott Coker was kind of harmless or whatever when they used to talk about the Strike Force deal. But he's always had nice things to say about Vince McMahon. He's always been relatively complimentary at least by Dana White standards of Vince McMahon and now Uh, You can just imagine them tearing down the Vegas Strip together in one of Dana's Ferraris, and I'm happy for them. Uh, If you read this Endeavor press release, as I said, one of the things that I think becomes clear instantly is that they have plans to run the exact same playbook on WWE that they have already run on the UFC. Now, Ben, I talked for a minute uh, earlier about how I wanted to read from this pay-per-view because there's some amazing language in here. Here is a quote attributed in this press release to Vince McMahon. He says, "The new company will be well positioned to maximize the value of our combined media rights, enhance sponsorship monetization, develop new forms of content, and pursue other strategic mergers and acquisitions to further bolster our strong stable of brands." First of all, Vince McMahon did not say that.
1: <laughs> no, you can you, just, you can just picture him. You can hear it in your head.
0: Yeah, uh secondly, We know what this means, right? We have seen already what they have done to the UFC, its broadcast, its programming, its live events. They are going to slap logos and sponsors and everything else all over all aspects of WWE programming just sell every square inch that they could possibly milk a dollar out of Prime Energy Drinks and Toyo Tires and various trash truck companies and whatever the latest movie release is. Just, Just wring every drop out of it. And frankly, it seems to me like there might even be more opportunity to do that as part of a WWE broadcast than there even is to do it as a UFC broadcast. Just think of the sheer acreage that there is on a WWE broadcast to sell out to the highest bidder at every turn.
1: Yeah. Um, Are you saying that I have a chance to get my name handwritten on the WWE canvas as well for a 1000 bucks a pop?
0: 100%, yes. And if you happen to be a WWE fan... I hope you like paying more for what you already get, because that's where all this is headed. That's where we're going here.
1: Here's an interesting thing. Uh, I'm reading here from the Hollywood Reporter story on it. Um, For one thing, it notes, combining the UFC and WWE into one company will turbocharge the number of fights and events the firms produce, while also expanding the original content based on the fighters' personalities or live events, which... If there's anything MMA fans have been begging for, it's expanding the content, please. Look, there's just not enough stuff. There's a quote there here from Ari Shapiro uh, it says, and Beyond the Fights, quote, from an original programming standpoint, we can launch entirely new franchises that puts the power of WME and the Endeavor Flywheel behind all of this, Shapiro adds. Ultimate Fighter has been a winner for us. The Contender Series has become a winner for us. But we expect in this new combination to launch non-scripted shows, docs, and films, more fights, more events, and a mess of social media. Interesting verbiage.
0: <laughs> just a mess. I'm
1: just saying. Yeah, interesting choice of words there at the end. But also, it's like if you are a, a fan, I don't know if you l- look at that and be like, "Oh, it sounds like you're just talking about more filler content, man." It sounds like just you you just told me like, "Get ready, there's a whole bunch of more of the cheapest possible crap that we can make." And maybe less of the big ass monster fight kind of shit that we get that the fans get legitimately excited about yeah it's that sort of disconnect between like the business guys are sitting there and be like we're gonna make so much more fucking money on a shittier product and the fans are like why are you saying this like it's a good thing that's not i don't get excited by that
0: Just a reminder, this week's episode is once again brought to you by NordVPN. We've been preaching the virtues of NordVPN to you guys for a long time now. Ben and I both have it installed on all our devices. It's hassle-free and it works great. With NordVPN, you get the fastest VPN on the planet. NordVPN provides online protection with a single click. Don't miss your favorite content. Even when you're traveling, stay at home virtually. Stay safe from malware with threat protection. Ben, I know you love NordVPN. What's your favorite part of using it? Chad, you
1: know. That I love being able to run all over town, hopping on various public Wi-Fis and know that NordVPN is going to kick in automatically. Got me protected. Doesn't matter if I'm off uh, picking up some steel chairs across town. Uh, If I'm over at the foreign objects store, picking up some items there. If I'm down at the tailor having my mask customized, uh, doesn't matter. NordVPN's got me covered.
0: Just rolling through the uh, hardware store checkout with a bunch of garbage cans. And they're like, "Uh, what are you doing with this many garbage cans? And you're like, well, can't wait to smash them over somebody's head. That's what I'm doing.
1: Mind mind your business and pass me that two by four.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You can also access Nord's amazing cybersecurity apps, including the NordPass password manager, helping you keep all your passwords straight and close at hand. And with the NordLocker encrypted cloud storage app, you can keep your files backed up, synced, and protected from snoopers loss, or malware in its secure cloud. Nobody will see, touch, or sell them. And oh, by the way, do you want to get four free months instead of the usual three? Well, right now, if you use the sign-up link exclusively for listeners of the CME, you can. Every purchase of the two-year plan will receive four bonus months on top of everything else when you use nordvpn.com slash co-main or use the code comain when you sign up. Again, that's nordvpn.com slash co-main or the code co-main all one word it's risk-free with nord's 30-day money-back guarantee get your exclusive nordvpn deal at nordvpn slash co-main you know we talk a lot about how this will change things and what this new partnership conglomerate new company will do what the the various synergies and expectations and uh things that will be available to them are my guess is though For the most part, I would think that the day-to-day business at the ground level of both of these companies will not change that much. I would think that Endeavor will likely have a set-it-and-forget-it policy with the WWE the same way they have with the UFC. And if anything, perhaps guys like uh, Vince McMahon and Hunter Hearst Helmsley will have even more unchecked carte blanche to run their company the same way Dana White has had with the UFC under Endeavor
1: yeah uh and that probably is a big part of the appeal right is that you don't buy this thing because you want to jump in there and meddle with the the whatever you see as the already successful system there you you do it because you feel like it can be an ATM on the front lawn for you right I do though want to point out one of the things from the Hollywood reporter story that really caught my eye uh, is Ari Shapiro talking about it and for one thing him saying uh that the the debt of Endeavor is going to be lower uh, once they go through with this deal. And so they, they feel like, you know, this, this is the kind of shit that gets the business guys really excited. So a very healthy balance sheet to grow opportunistically or do dividends, share buyback, you name it, uh, you know, just... The, the shit that really gets you excited. But also, he notes this: WME incubates stars. Look at what we've done with John Cena, Ronda Rousey, The Rock. I mean, these are tremendous names, tremendous talent. And we look to enhance their profiles every chance we get. And I think it's going to be a wide open door for both of these properties.
0: Hmm.
1: Now, that's the exact same shit, basically, that they said when they bought the UFC was, yeah. look, we are a talent agency at our core that is the kind of the business that we are used to. We have all these opportunities that where we can hype you up. We can take these fighters that are great fighters and interesting personalities but aren't really known outside the MMA bubble and we can use all our contacts in the entertainment industry whether it's, you know, talk shows where the host is a client of ours and shit like that and we can get them out there and get them into make them a huge much bigger deal. And none of that really happened. None of that didn't seem like even It was a thing that they ever tried to make happen or that they even necessarily wanted to make happen Yeah, because what they wanted was sort of interchangeable fighters that work cheap and that are, if they want too much money, fuck them. They're out of here. Like Francis Ngannou. And it's really interesting to me because it made me think back to like how I've talked about before that. When researching my story for the territories is listening to podcasts where, uh, Jerry Jarrett, the old Memphis wrestling promoter had said that Vince McMahon told him many years ago, what he wanted was a company of interchangeable wrestlers, no Hulk Hogan's that yeah. could hold you over a barrel, uh, for negotiations. And it seems like that's a thing that the, the UFC has really leaned into lately. And now you've got them both owned by the same company, which is still telling us we can make these people into huge stars. And it's like, but do you actually want that? Is that just something that you're saying? Like, do you believe it when you say it? Or do you know that that's not in your interests?
0: Yeah. I mean, the interesting thing is that the UFC has actually been kind of inept when it comes to creating mainstream crossover stars. Like, all of their biggest pay-per-view draws have either come already made to the UFC in terms of people like Brock Lesnar... Uh, you know, Ronda Rousey to a certain extent, although they certainly promoted her a lot more and a lot more effectively than Strikeforce did, or they've had these big crossover pay-per-view stars come who just are equipped with a fanatical backing of fans from their home country, like George St. Pierre and Conor McGregor. Now, obviously Conor McGregor has done his own thing in terms of mainstream popularity, but like he didn't even really get famous in the mainstream until he went and fought in a boxing match against Floyd Mayweather. So the UFC has been pretty good at establishing kind of like mid-level pay-per-view draws inside the MMA bubble. Guys like John Jones, the Diaz brothers, you know, the UFC has made them. They haven't really been that successful at suddenly taking their personalities and making them big mainstream mainstream crossover stars. Uh, but WWE's business has always been very contingent on having those stars. You can see the the wrestling business go up and down with the arrival and the departure of these big personalities like the Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin and you know John Cena to a certain extent. And you know, they have these ups and then they have these lulls. I would think that the wrestling business at least would continue to be dependent on creating these personalities. But at the same time, man, maybe not. Maybe if Endeavor can get into the same broadcast of deals that it's got the UFC into, maybe they just don't care. Maybe as long as you slap the WWE logo on there, you can just get your guaranteed money and and call it good at the end of the day.
1: One more uh, quote here from Shapiro I wanted to read uh, here at the very end of this Hollywood Reporter story. We will absolutely, especially given our healthy balance sheet, cash flow generation, and low debt multiple, be very opportunistic. So you can look at bolt-on acquisitions, but you could also look at transformative deals. We're going to do what's best for the shareholder. (laughs) That could be dividends, share buybacks. But at the same time, if there's another WWE that we come across on the market that fits into our flywheel, you can bet we'll explore it. So in other words, we might not be done buying shit. Yeah. We retain the the opportunistic mentality that if there's shit worth buying out there maybe we'll buy it and if you happen to be a motherfucker sitting around with ownership of a slap league maybe you go hey i got a thing that you could buy i'll i'll <laughs> i'll give you a really good price on it you know
0: well if you're it's talking on about, rumble if you're talking rumble's if, the exclusive home if you're talking about the just the the pro wrestling industry there's really only one other wwe that could come along Right? AEW down there in uh, Florida. Maybe you're talking about TNA, Impact, I guess they call it now. But uh, if you wake up this morning and you're Tony Khan down there at AEW, All Elite Wrestling, I wonder how you feel. I wonder how you feel today. Not that they're necessarily trying to knock WWE off the the mountaintop, but, well, now WWE seems even more powerful today than it did over the weekend. So that may not be great. May not be great if you're a competitor. I don't know.
1: Do you think we're sitting here a year from now and either one of the products looks different, feels different at all? Like either whether that's, you know, production changes for somebody or, uh, you know, maybe we slim down some staff and a bunch of people are going from doing uh, UFC video packages to WWE packages and we start to feel like maybe they're being spread thin or That we start to see UFC fighters showing up in a more official capacity at WWE events. Do you think a year, year and a half from now, we feel like there's a difference as a result of
0: this? In terms of the look and feel of the product, especially on the MMA side, probably not is my guess. I mean, I think you will see a lot of crossover advertising. You know, when SummerSlam or Survivor Series or WrestleMania or the Royal Rumble are coming up, you will absolutely see a ton... Of ads for that on your UFC content and vice versa. When UFC 287 is coming up the week after WrestleMania, you will absolutely see a shitload of UFC 287 ads as part of your WrestleMania programming. But one of the things that has been most attractive and lucrative about the UFC is its ability to just go from town to town, from week to week with its cookie cutter fucking production or stay home at the Apex if that makes more financial sense. And just do it again and again and again. Just fucking turn the flywheel, as they say, over there at Endeavor and keep the money cranking out. Now, to, to a certain extent, WWE does the same thing and even more touring, right? But I don't necessarily know that you will see a bunch of changes to either product. I would love to see the UFC Adopt some WWE style entrance stuff, you know, with the fireworks and everything else that used to be cool about pride and MMA in its first incarnation that we have largely seen fall by the wayside in terms of that cookie cutter approach. The one thing that I think could change in terms of fan interactions is what happens to WWE product because they a while ago basically uh, chose to forego pay-per-view in terms of just having the WWE subscription service where you pay the one flat fee and you get in the door and all of a sudden you get the programming and you get the pay-per-views. I think if you want to order the pay-per-views terrestrially and you don't have WWE network, you can still do it. Now the question is, does WWE go back to a pay-per-view dependent business model since Endeavor has been pretty good, I think, at monetizing that for the UFC. So that could be a big change if you are a WWE fan. On our side of things, are you going to see wrestlers show up and do promos? Yeah, you are. Are you going to see fighters maybe show up on Raw or SmackDown once in a while and probably give a terrible speech about the next week's fights? Yeah, you probably are. Are you going to see a ton of changes? I kind of doubt it, man. They're already making a shitload of money. Don't don't change it if it ain't broke.
1: Yeah. That is the whole reason we're doing all this after all is so that incredibly wealthy people can get wealthier.
0: Yeah. All right. That's probably going to wrap it up here for our discussion for the moment of the UFC WWE mega merger. We're going to take a quick break and coming up after that, we are going to get into talking about some UFC 287 stuff. Well, Ben, I honestly didn't even connect the dots between the UFC taking last weekend off and WrestleMania. It was pointed out, you know, somewhat concretely this Monday that WWE and the UFC may have given each other some space here. Maybe the UFC got the hell out the way so WWE could run its WrestleMania show and there wouldn't be any competition. That makes a lot more sense on Monday than it would have to proffer that idea on Friday. Nonetheless, next weekend. UFC 287, April the 8th, going down at Miami-Dade Arena, the granddaddy of them all down there in Miami, Florida. The middleweight championship rematch. The champion, Alex Pereira, defending against the challenger, Israel Adesanya, which sounds a little weird to say. In the co-main, a welterweight fight between Gilbert Burns and Jorge Masvidal. You got Rob Font versus Adrian Yanez. You got Kevin Holland versus Santiago Ponzinibbio and Raul Rosas Jr., returns to the UFC for a fight against Christian Rodriguez. Of course, a whole lot of preliminary action prior to that. Obviously, we're going to start with the championship fight. Mean-spirited, as I've said in the past, for Alex Pereira to follow Israel Adesanya to his new school like a goddamn playground bully and continue to beat him up for his lunch money. He already left the other sport. And came to the new sport and Israel Adesanya was the champion. And Alex Barrett was like, you know what? I'm going to go over there and beat him again. Fuck this guy. And then he did that. Israel Adesanya himself says this is his last chance. Ben Folks, how do you see this one it out?
1: You know, I'm really curious to see what Israel Adesanya took from that fight as terms of lessons for the future. Because do you come out of that one going, man, I almost had him. I had him hurt earlier in the fight. If I didn't just, you know, uh, make the mistake of standing in front of him too long later in the fight when maybe my mobility was lacking a little bit and he knew he had to come on strong, uh, I would have been fine. I can just, do. basically, do you tell yourself, I need to do the same but a little better. I just need to improve my execution. Or do you tell yourself, hey, remember when you took him down and he really couldn't do shit about it? What if we just did that, the whole fight? Yeah. I'll be really curious. uh, Because we've seen this before where sometimes it is tough for a fighter to reconcile it with his ego. To say like, hey, look, the thing you usually do, it's not just a matter of better execution, more skillful application of your game plan. Maybe what you need to do is admit to yourself that you can't beat this guy the way you usually beat people, or at least it is not your best path to victory or your, your your most high percentage path to victory to beat this guy the way you usually beat people. Maybe you need to admit yourself to, at least with this guy, you need to become a different kind of fighter. That's, I think, tough for a lot of people to, to come to that place mentally. I think it's a lot easier for them to just be like, You were basically there. You just got to tighten up some things and do a little better on the night. Yeah. You know?
0: Well, I mean, if you will recall, several weeks ago, we forecasted that the only thing Kamaru Usman had to do against Leon Edwards was not get knocked out. Just don't get knocked out and you probably win, we and almost everyone else said, was not the case. It turned out that uh, Leon Edwards perhaps had made some adjustments and he was ready for Kamaru Usman's game. I don't necessarily know if the same applies for Alex Pereira. Uh, Israel Adesanya probably feels mostly good about what he is able to do when he doesn't get knocked out. Uh, he, real, he would have won if he hadn't lost type situation. Generally, it is very difficult to either convince an MMA fighter or to find an MMA fighter who has the physical and mental ability to change his or her stripes right, to go out there in a fight and say, I am going to do something different than what I normally do in order to win. Most of them don't worry about the opponent. They just say, I'm going to do what I do. And, you know, he or she is going to have to keep up with me. If there is someone clever enough and offbeat enough who is willing to take a chance to do something different to win, my guess is it's Israel Adesanya, to be honest.
1: Yeah. You would think so, right? Because he seems to have a little bit more of a cerebral approach to some of this sometimes. But also, it's like, the I keep thinking about the example set by Leon Edwards and Kamaru Usman in that this is another situation where Guy wins the title, comes into the immediate rematch as the champion, coming off the win, and is the betting underdog. Yeah. Alex Pereira is still going off, looking at the DraftKings odds, plus 115, Israel Adesanya a minus 135 favorite. That's still a little bit surprising to me like, because while well, I definitely think Israel Asanya had some real bright spots in that first fight, you know, catching him there at the end of the round, had him rocked uh, some moments where maybe there were opportunities to exploit his lack of a ground game a little more. I can see how you talk yourself into thinking like with a little more time to plan and to think about how things went in that last fight, Israel Asanya will get it done in the second one. Couldn't it also be a situation where, A, maybe Alex Pereira just has your number, or also, B, maybe uh, Israel Asanya has been at the top for a while, fighting these hitters, fighting some tough-ass fights, and could be on the other side of the
0: mountain at this point? Yeah, it's possible. We talk a lot about how difficult it is to win a UFC title, what a select group it is that eventually becomes champion. It's even a smaller, more select group that wins the title back after they lose it. So Israel Adesanya at this point, trying to become part of that even more elite group. He's only 33 years old. So just in terms of calendar years, you wouldn't think that he is on the the downside of things, but an awful lot of mileage, I think, on that fighter's body, having had a bunch of kickboxing fights and then come over to MMA. So who knows physically where he's at. It's a fight that I'm, again, super interested to see just because of the matchup of styles. It figures to be a very tense 25 minutes if we get that far because we know what Alex Pereira can do with the hands. We know what he has done to Israel Adesanya in the past. And yet we know Israel Adesanya as a great tactician and a guy who has you know, won a lot of fights in the UFC, been the standard bearer at 185 pounds for a really long time. It would be I guess somewhat shocking to see him get, for example, knocked out two times in a row by the same guy. That would be, that would be a a kind of a sad end to the Israel Adesanya era in the UFC. If I was Alex Pereira though, I might look askance at those odds. I might give those odds the side eye. I might say, what else could you possibly want me to do? In terms of making me a betting favorite against this guy, yeah. I have beat him every single time we have been out there in yeah. two different sports, and I am still the underdog. Really? You sure about yeah. that? Yeah,
1: I, I definitely would feel that way. And maybe you know, if you're Glover Teixeira try, trying to hype him up, you you print out those odds, tape them to the mirror in the gym, something like that. You know, just to be like, hey, they don't they don't think you can do it, even though you keep beating this guy, and it's not like. You just fought once and you hit a half-court shot at the buzzer. You know, you, you every time you go in there and have to fight them, you end up looking like the better fighter in the end. And still, they don't think that you got it. They do they, they not really believe that yet that you are a champion MMA fighter. Do they think you just got some favorable matchups and that's how it's working out for you so far? I mean... That That is interesting, and I could see him getting motivated by that, if yeah. you're not already.
0: If I were Alex Pereira, what I would do is do a bunch of hanging out with Chuck Liddell leading up to this fight.
1: <laughs> this curly-ass mohawk.
0: Yeah, we talked about this over on the Patreon properties last week, but uh, it seems like Alex Pereira and Glover Teixeira and Chuck Liddell are doing an awful lot of hanging out. We know, you know, connections through the pit and whatnot, but uh, I'll admit I was a little bit surprised to see Chuck Liddell taking what appears to be a somewhat active role in getting Alex Pereira ready to fight Israel Adesanya. There's a sweet video on Instagram of those guys doing some pummeling in the living room in front of the TV. And a woman who appears to perhaps be maybe Glover Tashira's wife walks by in the background and you can just see her glance over and be like, oh shit, the boys are pummeling in the living room again.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you're Glover Teixeira's wife, this is not the first time you've seen <laughs> dudes pummeling in the living room. It's That's just something that's going to happen every yeah. once in a while. Like, you, you round a corner in that house at any time, and people might be working on the clinch game. That's just something you get used to, I'm sure.
0: Our guy Justin, a.k.a. the Silver Shark, who lives in Chicago, if I'm not mistaken, made the drive over to Milwaukee right this past weekend to watch Game Bread Boxing 4 promoted by Jorge Masvidal. And we will have, I think, more of his thoughts about the live experience at Game Bread Boxing 4 coming up on the Patreon properties this week. Anthony Pettis emerged with a, I believe, majority... De- I don't have it in front of me. I'm just spitballing it. Majority decision win against Roy Jones Jr., I think, which score one for the MMA fighters, I guess, in the in a crossover contents, But... One of the things Justin told us after being in the arena for Game Bread Boxing 4 for, let's say, spoiler alert, most of the live uh, main card, he didn't see Jorge Masvidal. And we don't know where Masvidal was at during the broadcast. We don't know if he was, you know, he was watching it live. So maybe Masvidal was on the the televised broadcast somewhere. But uh, Justin sure didn't see him. And so maybe Jorge Masvidal is just in the gym. Getting ready for this co-main event fight about uh, against Gilbert Burns, Vidal rolls in on the heels of a 0 3 losing streak. All those fights to either Kamara Usman or Colby Covington, but this this strikes me as one that you better try to win if you're if you're George here.
1: Yeah, well, and he's talking about how if he doesn't win, he might consider retiring. That it might be kind of it for him, especially because if you'll start to look at where you think you might be able to go in your career uh you know there would seem you you get slotted into a different category essentially if you don't win this one then again a lot of people talk about the prospect of potentially retiring if they don't win until that happens and then turns out they don't want to do that so we'll see i didn't think it was interesting i mean one of the things that came across i was excited when i heard that the silver shark was going to be in attendance and he was going to text us some updates. I was like, Oh, this is going to be good. Yeah. And then it seems like he was mostly underwhelmed like that for one thing, uh, seemed like from his, his reporting, a lot of good seats still available, not a lot of crowd enthusiasm or just like energy or like, it just seems like he came away being like, for a thing that seemed on paper, like, holy shit, is this for real? Jorge Masvidal has a boxing event, and it looks like it's actually awesome. And then to go in there and be like, it was just kind of boring. Yeah. That's, that's a bit of a bummer.
0: Yeah, it's and it's surprising considering the card, right? Anthony Pettis against Roy Jones Jr., Vitor Belfort against Jacare Souza, Jose Aldo against Jeremy Stevens, uh, and a couple other notable former MMA fighters on the card. So I would have thought, you know, especially with a hometown guy in the the main event in Anthony Pettis, that this would have been a popular live event choice in the city that night. And it just doesn't sound like it was. And we, Justin didn't know what to attribute that to, whether or not they had just entirely focused on the pay-per-view broadcast or, you know, if there just wasn't that much interest in, in Milwaukee, but it sounded like Yeah, a bit of a low-key affair, surprisingly, considering the personalities who are out there. Yeah. Gilbert Burns, on the other hand, rolls into this fight against Jorge Masvidal as something of a bit more of a relevant... Person in this division, he just defeated Neil Magny at UFC 283 via arm triangle choke in the first round, which is something that is hard to do with a tough out like Neil Magny. Obviously, we know they put him out there with Hamza Chimaev at UFC 273 as a test for the young up and comer. He did end up dropping that decision, did Gilbert Burns, but they won fight of the night, and he tested comes out in a way that we hadn't really seen him tested up to that point and previous to that of course his unanimous decision win over the wonder man at UFC 264 so uh Gilbert Burns seems to be still you know, kind of in the thick of it in terms of, I don't know if you want to say his MMA prime, but certainly still beating relevant people in this division. He doesn't seem like he's going to hop up and be the number one contender or be the champion again. But if you just compare, I guess, what he has done recently to what Jorge Masvidal has done, it's kind of hard not to like Gilbert Burns here, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Uh, Gilbert Burns is a very good fighter and can do a few different things. And I was still, though, kind of stunned to look at the odds and see Gilbert Burns as an almost 5-1 to one favorite.
0: That's a lot. For
1: Jorge Masvidal. Minus 490 right now. Jorge Masvidal going off at plus 390. Uh, and yet, could I talk myself into putting the money on Jorge Masvidal? It's hard for me to picture how he wins. If yeah. Gilbert Burns fights a smart fight, which, as we've seen in the past, we've seen Gilbert Burns in a few different types of matchups against different types of fighters. And one thing that I think he does do pretty well is, is see what the path to victory for him looks like and stay kind of disciplined in the approach. And when he was brawling it out with Hamzat, it was like that was maybe the best chance that he had there was to get him into that kind of a fight. And he he went for it uh, and almost worked at a couple points there but didn't come out his way. Against Jorge Masvidal, I would think Gilbert Burns is going to be like, let me put this guy down and... Slow this fight way down and get him on the mat, and we're going to have that kind of a fight. And I don't know if we've seen, other than when Jorge Masvidal could land that flying knee and stop you from even getting to that point, I don't know if we've seen a whole lot of examples of him really being able to thwart that game plan against people who do it well.
0: Yeah. Uh, I'm interested to see what happens. I agree that it is hard to picture a way that Jorge Masvidal wins this, but I start hearing about those long odds. And the $20 I never want to see again that I've got in my pocket right now starts to hum a little bit. I start to be able to feel it glowing like a hot coal
1: down there. In in, in the Sir Nigel voice, bread game. (laughs) Let me fly
0: away. (laughs) Put it all down on Jorge Masvidal and if I truly love you, I will come back at four to one (laughs) odds. I don't know if you say that there's a big drop-off here between the main event and co-main event and the rest of this main card, but like I said, Rob Font against Adrian Yanez. Am I saying that right? Is it Yanez? Is that how we say his name? I believe Popu- so. He's popular on the internet, Yeah, is Adrian Yanez. Then you got Kevin Holland against Santiago Ponzinibbio and Raul Rosas Jr. versus Christian Rodriguez. Ben, folks, are you interested in anything else on this main card? And if so, what are you most interested in?
1: Well, you know, the chance to get another look at Raul Rosas Jr and continue to find out what does this kid have. Yeah. And what's the progression going to look like when you get your hooks in somebody so young and clearly the UFC would like to see him do well, but also you're going to go in there and you got to fight some UFC fighters at some point and uh you know, it's I'm curious to see what especially do we do we get a sense of like what his progression looks like? from one fight to the next. Yeah. Because when you're still so young and you're still so new in the game, uh, you you could at times see a whole lot of growth between one fight and the other.
0: You got the odds in front of you?
1: Yeah. Raul Rosas Jr. going off minus 230. Christian okay. Rodriguez plus 195. Now, so the- here's one I'm going to be taking a close look at, though, is Kevin Holland at minus 250 against Santiago Panzanibio at plus 210.
0: Really? hmm. That's interesting. Now, the odds on the Raul Rosas Jr. Christian Rodriguez fight are actually close enough that you would think that's that's not the lopsided odds that you would think you might get in a second appearance for a guy like Raul Ro- Rosas Jr. if he's a guy the UFC is uh, trying to bring up the right way like that's those aren't Bo Nickel. Style lopsided yeah. odds there, so that's that's kind of interesting. Maybe he gets himself into a fight with Christian Rodriguez. The Santiago ponzanibio Kevin Holland matchup is an interesting one, and I feel like you catch Kevin Holland at kind of a weird place yeah. coming into this Santiago ponzanibio fight. You know, he's two four and one in his last handful of fights. He's coming off of back to back stoppages against Tom Zajacmajev and Stephen Thompson. And he's bounced back and forth kind of between welterweight, catchweight. We're not sure, quite sure where he's going to be. So now he comes back down to welterweight to fight Santiago Ponzanibio, who is coming in off a knockout win over Alex Moreno at UFC 282. I just feel like that's I feel like Kevin Holland is in a weird space right now, man.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, he's one of those fighters where it's kind of tough to know what you're going to get out of him at various points, you know, because he could come in there, look really good, surprise you, catch you or something. Uh, but also, you know, the the Hamza Tchemaev fight, okay, he steps up for the UFC, takes a different fight out of his weight class, catch weight fight, uh, where he gets ragdolled and choked kind of right away. And you go, well, what did we really expect there? The Steven Thompson one, he got punished in that fight physically. There, there. they you take some damage from that one. And that was just in December, you know, and to to come back now, get right back there at camp, show up against a tough dude like Santiago Ponzadibio, That's not a gimme, you know. That's not like a short thing, bounce back kind of fight. That could be a a tough night of work for you if you're not ready for it.
0: Yeah, silent assassin as an underdog. I don't, I'm not sure. I, I might take a look at that myself. Um, All right, unless there's anything that you want to point out here on the UFC 287 card that we haven't discussed, I figure that probably wraps it up for us this week. Thanks for listening to the co-main event podcast, everybody. Again, we'll be over on the Patreon page all week, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday over there. You can get in for as cheap as $1 if you just want to attend the live chat. But we got uh, patronage tiers up and down the whole gamut. Go in for the whole hog if you want to, but check us out over there, patreon.com slash co-main event. For those of you who are there, we'll see you on Wednesday, and those of you uh, bitch-ass casuals that only listen to the proper, we'll see you next Monday. Thanks, everybody, for listening. As for right now, we are done. We are through. We are out. for this one? You're going to watch UFC 287 as it happens live? I'm out of town so I'm going to have to catch up with it after the fact but is this Shit. one that you've got circled on the calendar?
1: It, it is I'm going to watch this one. I, also you've been saying for a while now how you're going to be out of town this day or that <laughs> day and I'll tell you what, brother it hasn't always <laughs> happened that way
0: yeah, okay. you know I mean, what I'm maybe, saying? Maybe I shouldn't be as confident that I'm, I'm actually going to be out of town
1: I'm not going to rent out your space on the couch next to me Okay. How about that?
0: That seems uh that seems wise. If I am on the couch next to you watching USC two eighty seven instead of instead of sitting in the climate change climate pledge arena watching the Seattle Kraken play the Chicago Blackhawks, I'm gonna be kind of pissed, I'll be honest with you. Speaking of
1: Seattle Kraken I they got the, the coyotes tonight. We need this phone Yeah. Can't afford it.